Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. My name is Matt Hudson from What I Watch Tonight, and joining me from across the pond as ever, it's a statesman to my kingsman, it's John Burke from BurkeReviews.com. How you doing, man? Doing pretty well, Matt. How are you this evening, and or daytime, right. or whatever? It is, it is 10 o'clock in the evening over here in the United Kingdom, so I've got some, it's not quite twilight, but I've got some evening cinematic chat, so I kind of feel like I've got a nice ambiance about me tonight. Uh, with the stars in the background. So I'm doing very well, but uh, how are you? How's Florida? Uh, it's hot um, and yeah, rainy. Uh, yeah. It's been bouncing back and forth between those two things. Um, and uh, yeah, otherwise, you know, it's fine. It's it's a melting. We are the, I, I believe the expression is, if Florida was its own nation, we would be the fourth largest uh, coronavirus nation in the world um, with the US, Brazil, and India just ahead of us that's reassuring so, to hear right right so you know no no worries about florida and our increasing numbers of covid cases so no as you can't hear you won't be able to hear but we've both got masks on of course we're, we're socially distanced by about a thousand miles or maybe more i'm not sure about the distance yeah. of the ocean but we've got our masks on we're socially distancing for the bamp so for those new to the bloody awesome movie podcast every week me and john we take a, a film which would in normal cases be you know, the big release or one or two of the big releases of the week cinematically. But of course, in these times, we haven't got any. So we're looking uh, mainly streaming. So we take one streaming film, we have a chat about it, and then we dive into some of the headlines that have caught our eye in pop culture and also a little bit about what we've been indulging in, uh, whether that be music, podcasts, video games or whatnot now. So it's a real pop culture blast. And for this week, we are talking about a, a new Netflix film and it's called The Old Guard. And it's directed by Gina Prince Bythewood, uh, written by Greg Rucker, comic book graphic novel uh, novelist. And it stars Charlize Theron, Kiki Lane, uh, Matthias Schoenartz, Marwen Kanzari, uh, Luca Marinelli, Chiwetel Ejiofor, and Harry Melling, Dudley Dursley. What's it about? A covert team of immortal mercenaries are suddenly exposed and must now fight to keep their identity a secret, just as an unexpected new member is discovered. And over here in the UK, it's on Netflix, of course, and and John, just to confirm, US Netflix? Netflix original, yep. Yep, Netflix original. And with all our band reviews, they're non-spoiler. We'll go into pretty much what I've just mentioned in the synopsis, but we don't discuss character fates, what happens at the end, major plot t- twists, uh, unless the film calls for it. But this one doesn't, and the major plot twist for me is in the synopsis. I didn't read the synopsis before going into Watch the Old Guard. I've said it on this show many times that as much as I love film, and I do, I don't often watch trailers unless I'm forced to, like I'm in the theatre and, and it comes on. And I don't even read synopses that much so I can go in completely blind. So I had no idea what the old guard was about. I just assumed it was Charlie's Theron leading a group of um, old soldiers uh, into into like a um, precarious position, the position where they'd have to use their guns and shoot people. So not long into the film, a scene happens and I'm thinking, bloody hell. How are they going to get out of this one? It turns out that they're immortal, immortal, which is what the whole film's built upon. This is based on Greg Rucker's um, graphic novel of the same name. So I didn't know beforehand that they were immortal. I was thinking, how have they done this? What's What trick have they used to not die? Uh, it turns out um, they're immortal. So I wasn't aware of that. So it's a superhero movie, basically. And um, it's set in the Middle East, as all Netflix films seem to be, especially their action films. And it is just that it's an action slash fantasy film. Uh, and it's an action film with some good action scenes and a lot of kind of hell yeah moments as people get murdered and maimed in beautifully violent ways. However, I don't actually think it, that these were used too much. There was action, but it wasn't abundance. They, they got a lot of quieter moments with the characters, which I appreciated. We learn more about them, their histories, their their powers per se, and more about them. So I like the fact that it wasn't just... You know, balls to the wall, slobber knocker. Let's see if we can top this film in terms of violence and cool moments. It was kind of a 50-50 split maybe, which surprised me. Or maybe even less, maybe even 60-40 towards the more quieter moments, which I 
appreciated. Um, Charlie's Theron is very good. It's always fun to see her kicking ass, even if I'm not a huge fan of the movies where she does so, like Atomic Blonde. I, I think I seem to be one of the only people who wasn't a huge fan, apart from the stairwell scene. And I think the whole cast actually does well. Everybody in the cast, nobody gets left behind. This is clearly Charlie's Theron's front and centre. Kiki Lane also gets a lot to do. Uh, and uh, Marwen Kenzari and Luca Marinelli, they have a nice um, dynamic between them. So that, I think everyone gets a decent, and Matthias Schonitz, get a decent amount of development. So I like the cast. Dudley from Harry Potter returns for another <laughs> Netflix outing after Buster Scruggs. It depends on how much you are enjoying the film. I think it depends on how much you like his performance. You see, I, I liked him in the film. I know a lot of people seem to have a lot of issues with him. I think I just like Harry Melling as a, I think I just like him. So I think that's why I gave him a pass, but people may have an issue with his portrayal, but um, I like the immortal angle, which again, for me was a twist because I had no idea it was coming. It freshened up what would have been just another naff by numbers shoot em up. Without that, this is just another Netflix shoot em up. What I didn't like though was the music. Uh, uh, I think the music choices were a bit rubbish and they were a bit cheesy. You got a mo- you'll have a scene where you know oh, a character you know they think they're going to go down fighting here. So let's play a song called "Go Down Fighting" to make sure everybody knows that somebody may go down fighting. There's no spoilers there. It just felt at odds to everything else. It was like the director was just like grinning at you, like see see how clever we can be. And the musical choices just didn't work. The score was fine, but the actual contemporary music I didn't think was a very good uh, idea. So it isn't the world's greatest film. And I know it sounds a bit stupid saying that. It's not even Netflix's best film, but I found this to be entertaining. And I, th- and I was interested in the backstory and the lore of the characters. So in terms of the Netflix action films, I think this was a step up from Extraction because I had something more about it because it was something a bit different from brooding CIA agent or whatever goes on a killing spree to help save a kid or something. This gave me something a little bit different and I appreciate it for that. So surprisingly... Because I had no preconceptions, I just thought it was going to be a bit of a slog. I actually think the old guard was pretty good. You know, not the world's, but not the best film of the year. But I think this is actually a pretty entertaining, pretty decent action film. Uh, what about you, JB? I love this movie. Um, there we go. I, I went in uh, also pretty blind. The only thing I had seen really about the movie was someone's opinion, and it is someone's opinion who I often agree with, but also. Um, look to and that's david sims he's a film critic he's the co-host of my favorite podcast the blank check with griffin and david um and what i saw was just a part of his tweet which was the old guard is the best action movie i've seen in a long time and i was like wow "Wow, that's a big praise i wonder uh what it is so i went in expecting it to be more balls to the wall uh mad max fury road like intense non-stop action it is not that um, in fact, like you mentioned, there's a lot of slow moments. There's a lot of character. There's, in fact, the thing that I love most about this movie is the world building. Yes. Um, because just if you look at the image, uh, the poster, or, or the Netflix poster, if you will, it, it just looks like soldiers. And that's yeah. what it looks like when the movie starts. And um, the second I noticed that they have, like, she has an axe and he has a sword. I'm like, something, something's up. What, what's happening and as it <laughs> reveals that they're immortal and that they've lived very long lives yes i am immediately like this is a fantasy movie this is a modern day soldier movie with fantasy elements built into it and i was hooked instantly um because i love the world building i love the allusions to all of the other stuff it even though uh, i also think this movie does a really good job of of hinting at without going into too much detail like yes. we get a lot of like we see world building that could easily become a serialized tv show it could become sequels mm-hmm. um but it doesn't feel forced or built in like the dceu does where it just feels like we're going to cram as much stuff as we can and and allude to the future this is more like we need you to understand that these people have had intricate lives and they've done a lot of things and know that yes we could explore those things but if we don't this movie will still be satisfying and that's where i felt it succeeded very very well i i yeah. feel um this is a standalone film it, if they never do anything else with it great um if they want to explore the world that they set up i'm so intrigued because i thought it was super interesting um i love shirley Theron. i don't understand how she is so capable of doing any role yeah. like 
I feel like as a chameleon, like she can literally step into whether you want to buy her as an action star, like in Mad Max Fury Road here or Atomic Blonde, or you want to see her as a dramatic indie actress, like in Tully or um, the previous Jason Wright film that's uh, a, what's it called? Something adult. I can't think of what it is. It's gone off my head, but she's in that one with Seth Rogen, that comedy as well. Uh, right. Shot. Long shot, which she's excellent in. Like she is just so great um i think the only performance i've seen of her recently that i thought was not amazing was in uh furious seven or i think that's the one where she pops up or uh, fate of furious she's oh, awesome and she's gonna be in nine apparently which is disappointing but um be, but yeah, she, she's oh yes and you can't fault her for doing those movies yeah. but i i adore her at this point like i i do think she might be my favorite actress and i love her in this movie and what made me even more excited was seeing Kiki Lane mm-hmm. uh, step into this role because I only know Kiki from uh, If Beale Street Can Talk, and she's yeah. amazing in that movie. But talk about a different role, right? Like completely different. And I think she does tremendous in this yeah. movie. Um, and the standout, and I think both of those are standouts, mind you, but the one that surprised me was last year, I, I think I gave him the worst performance. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm trying to make sure I get the right actor. Um, I think it's Luca. Nope, uh, Marinelli is it? Nope, nope. That's the other guy. It is Marwin Kinzari. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Marwin Kinzari, who is the worst part of Aladdin. Let me say that again, <laughs> because Aladdin was much better than I expected, but it was still not great. He was by far the worst part of it as Jafar. Jafar was the biggest disappointment in that movie. Slime bag. I, I blamed it on Marwin, but he's really good in this movie, and I actually adore him in this film. Um, and that's the thing. I actually like the cast, I think collectively. Yeah. Um, but I, I found so much of it to just be, I was so entrenched in the story, in the world building. Um, I love that it's a female director because you don't get a lot of female directed action movies in the first place. Uh, you know, I, the only one that pops into mind immediately is Catherine Bigelow, mm-hmm. this director, her three other films, cause she's only done four features, um, is Beyond the Lights, which I've never seen, Love and Basketball, which has been on my radar since it came out and I've still never seen, and then The Secret Life of Bees. Yeah, Yeah. so I've not seen any of her other films, but I know enough about each of these films to know that they're not action movies, you know? So, like, she's really, you know, she stretches her her directing muscle. She is not a singular type of director, and I find that compelling, and um, I'm just... I, I was just really blown away because I kind of went into this. Uh, even we picked this solely because we couldn't both see Palm Springs. I was 100% Palm Springs yep. in the movie for the week. You weren't going to have access to it. So we went with the old guard. I had very little interest. I I remember the trailer coming out. I never bothered to watch it. Uh, partly for this, not because of no nothing against it. I, like you, I only watch trailers when I have to most of the time. Yeah. There are exceptions where like I have to see a certain trailer or whatever. But most of the time, the only time I was watching trailers was at theaters. And now that that's not a thing not watching trailers so i hadn't bothered and um man i'm glad i didn't because i was like it the opening shots like them dead and i'm like okay so is this the end of the movie or is this a you know um and then it's it's not the end of the movie it's not even in the middle it's like literally just a few moments away we're gonna get to that point and i thought that was really cool too because it definitely felt like it was the end shot which is a very you know in media res is a new trend it was not even new anymore but it's been a trend in hollywood to start with the end background yeah right and so i assume that's what we were getting and it wasn't i love that so i just i had a blast with this movie i thought the action scenes were really cool um there's a a really intimate fight scene on on an airplane that i thought was really awesome um i i think the the visuals man it's it's a very violent movie and i do have to express that um i have this weird uh, in real life i would consider myself a pacifist um, I, I don't like violence. Mm-hmm. However, in my movies and my video games, I am I am completely desensitized to it. And I have no issue with it in most cases. There might be some exceptions, but in most cases, it doesn't bother me. But I separate those two things as I know one is fiction and I know one isn't. Um, I'm okay with fictional violence, even if it looks real. Uh, and this one, a lot of it does look pretty brutal and real. Um, but I, it didn't bother me. But I definitely think that's something you should know going in that it is violent uh they do not shy away from it if this were in theaters it would have been r for the violence without any hesitation um but i i had a great time with it i really enjoyed watching this movie and i actually was tempted to watch it again before we recorded because i really really liked it so wow it is 
it is a little long. It's like two hours and ten minutes, I think. So. It's about two hours, five, ten minutes, yeah, because it's a Saturday night, Saturday night movie, and I watched it on a Saturday night. I had to place to myself on Saturday. Uh, the young princess, my daughter, she was put, she was in bed, and I was like, right, you know, right I'll watch it now because I've got peace and quiet. I'm going to watch The Old Guard. Let's get this out of the way, and then I'll get on to doing other stuff. Uh, like you said, I, you know, I whilst I sit and say it wasn't the best movie, I've ever seen. I did also say I was entertained by it and I was intrigued by the world building and the lore that they'd set up. And it was exactly that that kept me interested. Like you said, you get the action, you get close range gunshots, you get a lot of stabby stabby, you get people getting blown up and necks being broken. If you love that stuff, you're going to get it. But I was much more interested in the in the world building, in the character building, because I could see that there was something more to it. And as we mentioned, like the whole immortal thing, they didn't. I mean, I did at one point think they were going to have. They had. They had all these newspaper clippings and photographs, and I did think, oh my god, we're going to have like a a moment where they go through all of them and they piece it together like that meme with um with all the pieces of string going across each picture. But we don't get that. Instead, the um, Gina Prince Bythewood and the writers cleverly managed to get their point across and fill us in with enough stuff to so we know just enough. So when we're watching the film, we understand what they've been through and the stakes of what's at stake rather than sitting there feeding it to us through a tube. So I appreciate that. And that's what kept me intrigued, not as much the action, because I've said I like action films, but I'm getting a bit bored now because we get so much. Some of them are just so by numbers, like Extraction and stuff like that. It's just like, it's great, but it's just there's nothing in there. I don't care about it. Give me something. And this film was going that way. It's given me something different. And like you say, Charlie's from was great. Kiki Lane was excellent uh, in this film. And those two, the way that they played off the paths that they were going yes. on and the cast, like I mentioned, all of the cast were given enough to do. So I didn't just feel like this was the Charlie's and Kiki show. The other three, uh, Matthias, Luca and Marwin, they all got stuff to do. They weren't, they were secondary characters, but they felt like important secondary characters. And now I appreciated that. You know, the script was fine and the screenplay's fine, but it's the way it was presented and executed I was very impressed with. Veronica Engo is in this. She's criminally underused, but there is a fabulous reason why. So it certainly isn't detrimental, but I, I like to see as much of Veronica Engo as possible. I think she's a great actress. Um, and like you said, if they want to pursue a sequel, they can do. You know, you know they've you know the way that they the way that these films are and with the backstory and that and how, how the characters develop. Man, they could make a franchise if they wanted to. But if they don't, this is a very decent um, effort. I can see Netflix, though, now thinking, you know what, this is the number one film in the world for this weekend. Go, 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 go. Let's get another one. Charlie's Theron, they'll throw money at her to get her back on on board um, because she was great in this. And I think a lot of the other actors would come back for it. Marwen Kinzari's done a lot of films like this already, so he's and Matthias Schoenarts as well. So these are kind of almost like genre actors who are definitely going to come back. But if they announce tomorrow, they're going to do a second one. You know, I, I would, I would drop my pre-content and I'd be like, yeah, I'll watch it when it comes out. I'll be quite, quite looking forward to seeing what they do with it. Um, so yeah, whilst, I mean, in terms of what's come out this year, it probably is one of the best films of the year because we've <laughs> hardly had much come it's out, a, but I, I would say it's in my top 15 for the year right now. I've seen I like think, 48 movies. I think, I mean, uh, I've seen a lot. I haven't logged as many as I'd like to, but I've seen more than I've admitted to on Letterboxd on that. But I'd say it was top 20 at least. And I would, again, just by the trailer, Netflix have got a problem with their posters. Sorry, not trailer posters. Their posters are usually just bland or vanilla. The poster for this is just naff. It's just really boring. And like you said, just seeing the poster, that's almost what turned me off. I was like, I'm absolutely going to watch it for the BAMP. Had it not been for the BAMP, I may have I may have watched it, but I may not have been so keen to rush out to see it just because the poster looks so generic. Thankfully, I didn't judge it on the on the trailer. And like you said, if you like action films, there's enough here to keep you satiated. If you like an action film with a bit more to it, like me, there was enough here to keep me interested. Um, or if you're just looking for a, a decent film for a couple of hours, then I'll you can't really go wrong with the old garden. From what I know, the critically and um, the fans are holding up quite well. Last time I checked, it was certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Most people I see online on social media are giving it a thumbs up. And some are saying similar to what I've just said, where, you know, it's not going to blow the doors down, but it's a very enjoyable watch and others are really digging it. So for the most part, I think people are getting behind this and, 
and I've I've always been a bit critical of Netflix's original films because they are such a mixed bag. But I'll happily I'll happily say you know this is a win for Netflix, and if they do do a second one, I don't know how many graphic novels Greg Ruck has written for this. I think I think it's a series, but I only know him because he did some Star Wars comics and some little June novels in the lead up to the Force Awakens. So that's my knowledge of comics, but um, I don't know how many of these he's got or if they'd set it on those or not, but I'd be interested to watch the second one, dude. So um, I wouldn't be surprised to be announcing on one of the next few shows that, yeah, they're doing a second one. And if they did, yeah, all for it. Yeah, I, I really thought the world building was intriguing. I didn't know it was a graphic novel until after I saw yeah, the so, movie, so I'm, yeah. I kind of want to check that out. Um, You know, that's obviously been a uh, a well of, of entertainment lately um, over the last 20 years now we've been making comic book movies so it's not surprising no, but yeah. um I, I i did think it was good and i thought there was a lot of cool stuff um in the film and i i would be on board for a sequel or a series um i could see a series being less you won't get the big names if they went series um you know most likely they're not going to commit to that and obviously uh when we'll get a sequel is a, the big question is when could they even start filming well, of course, is yeah. the the big curveball right now but um yeah i i enjoyed it i you know i don't i i was just kind of scrolling through letterbox reviews and i don't get a lot of the complaints a lot of people are like this is a forgettable movie i'm just like i didn't feel like it was forgettable at all I, i've actually been thinking about it a lot because i'm i found the fantasy elements to be really compelling and the idea of immortals like walking among us i mean we've been joking as a meme for years that keanu reeves is one of those right like so um, it, it just played on that paul rudd yeah although uh i've never seen anything to validate like there are paintings of like old like old paintings that look like keanu reeves that have been used <laughs> as evidence to support True the claims i've not seen that for paul rudd but um you know it's possible uh who knows keanu reeves did do um bram stoker's dracula maybe to mock us like oh no no i used to be an old british God. vampire too who knows in fact no. um, oh, he does a worse british accent than me trying to do a bad one and i am british yeah, dude, his British accent was <laughs> a joke. And I love Keanu Reeves. I am a Keanu Reeves apologist in most cases, and Stan. that is not one I will apologize. What about um what about uh, uh Dudley D- Harry Melling? Because I mentioned that a lot of people seem to have a problem with him and how he portrayed the the greedy CEO. What did you think about um old Harry, old Dudley? I didn't think he did anything wrong. I, I you know, um I think people have a hard time some when you are only familiar with an actor as one character and especially a very hated <laughs> character, we literally watched him grow up too. And uh, he wasn't the best looking kid. Um, <laughs> you know, he uh, intentionally, yeah, right? Like that's so. part of Harry's cousin is supposed to look awful. Um, and uh, I was really, I guess Buster Scruggs kind of sh- snapped me out of thinking yeah, of him. I as think he only- was great in that. Yeah, I, I did too. And obviously, like, I was like, wait, where's his arms and legs? Like, that's that's pretty impressive, uh, Cohen's, because the dude's got arms and legs, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, um, and I, but I didn't think he was bad. He is, a, I think, written very generically, but I don't think, you know, I wasn't expecting more mm-hmm. for that. Because um, I also think his character isn't. This movie isn't. It, it's world building and a lot of the actual plot of this particular film is of little consequence mm-hmm. you know like there it's more about establishing the team yeah. he lives in a different uh, world in Norway, isn't he? Story. Like, as a character he, yeah. where he where he is compared to everybody else he's in a different kind of place yeah and so i feel like he's there to to f- fulfill a role um but it's not really what the movie is about the movie is is heavily centered on like he's the antagonist of the plot, but I really think the, the conflict between the team and more importantly, like the internal conflict that Shirley Theron's mm-hmm. character yeah. is going through throughout the film is the, the centerpiece of the movie. And that's what I was latching onto. And I was okay with the, the, the traditional trope dressings of those other elements, which is what he's playing. He's the, the evil villain. Yeah. You know, he's, he's generic. He has one motivation and his motivation is even pure, which I think, it has a Mark Zuckerberg kind of vibe. Like, you know, I am providing a service that is essential to humanity at any cost, yeah. you know, like it doesn't matter as, cause this is my, I think this is what w- the world needs and I don't care what I have to do to get that. And it's like, okay, I totally get why someone would be that way. It's awful that they are that way, but it's also generic. You know, you don't really 
care. Um, but I, I don't think he did a bad job in that role. I, I believed his character, you know, I'm like, yeah, okay. He's evil. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I just wanted to but, get your view on that. Cause like I said, a lot of people didn't seem to jive for that too much, but I didn't mind it. Like you say, he, he was, he was written that way and he, he, he wasn't meant to be an action star. He is like you say, a Zuckerberg type and, doesn't he's not from the same yeah. world or from the same background so there was always going to be that conflict so i was just interested in what you thought and in terms of critically 82 percent rotten tomatoes 70 percent metacritic so i think that is a damn good return for for netflix but also for a film which i'm not sure how many people had high hopes for i can't speak for the world sadly but i can't i don't know how many people were waiting for this ad- adaptation and looking at wikipedia it turns out it seems like this is just a comic book so it's just, a, it's just a it's just a one and done. So any sequels would be um, original fit story. So I guess Greg Rucker may be on board as a screenwriter for it. So yeah, that excites me more now to know that they're not uh, any other film wouldn't be based on existing material solely that they they could it's based upon, but it wouldn't be uh, adapted from. So that excites me as well. So um, yeah, I put it in my review. It's it managed to it manages to be both conventional, but at the same time there's something different about this which i appreciate so yeah old guard guys what did you think of the old guard let us know and john did you have any more about the film before we move on nope, nope. so yeah let us know what you thought about old guard are we mad or are we not praising it enough so we're moving on now to our next segment chuffed headlines and uh in the weeks between our show anything that's caught our I in movie or pop culture news any headlines that we've seen that we think you know what fancy's given a few minutes screen time to that air time to that it could be funny it could be bonkers it could be sad or it could be you know just something to something to talk about um so jb first off what was your headline this week that caught your eye so i am a fan of vigo mortensen in general Mm. Um, he's done some odd things in life but overall i tend to like him and i like a lot of his movies i had no clue that not only does he have many albums, but he has collaborated with the musician Buckethead. <laughs> um, and not just once, like apparently multiple albums. And this article popped up on my Facebook feed and I was like, hold up, what? Because if you're not familiar with Buckethead, he wears a KFC yep. bucket on his head. Um, I believe a wig, although it could be his real hair, and then a mask. Um, and he's a crazy guitar player. He's played with, uh, I believe he was part of Axl Rose's uh, Chinese Democracy yes, was, Guns yeah. N' Roses tour. And um, he's been in other things. He's, he's, you know, he's one of those guitarists who kind of floats around because he is an entity in and of himself. And so they've collaborated on these different um, LPs and they're all like very uh, weird. Like I've not listened yet. <laughs> uh, it's, I don't know that I can listen to be real, but I was just so surprised um, to find out that not only did Viggo Mortensen have albums, but he had these very politically driven <laughs> albums with Buckethead. Does he sing? Um uh, I don't know if it's spoken word or wow. singing, to be honest. I think he might sing because he has done other uh, things. In fact, one of the ones that uh, I thought was really interesting was uh, nearly every Lord of the Rings Hobbit is represented on the album. Billy uh, Billy Boyd contributes bass and percussion. Elijah Wood plays no piano in one song. Dominic Monaghan is, is credited likely as one of the people supplying spectral groaning uh, in some of the songs. So yeah, and, and Mortensen sings and supplies harmonica something called the Les- Leslie Monica, and even more inexplicably, the wheelchair. So it's very experimental type music, weird things happening. Um, yeah. Uh, and they've done solo paths. Apparently Mortensen has an LP called Godzilla Sleeps Alone that came out in 2018. So yeah, no clue. I, this keeps happening where actors have albums. Like I found out Jeremy Renner has yeah. a band and stuff uh, because of commercial. Uh, I saw a commercial with his band. I'm like, is this real? And sure enough, it's a real band. Um, and so uh, it's always a little shocking. And of course there's the, the horrible ones that have existed throughout history. We have uh, Bruce Willis had a band that was not very good from what I rec- I recall. Uh, Russell Crowe has tried his hand at singing. Ryan Gosling's if you saw quite Mid, good. You are probably the same mindset. Well, sure. Gosling. I'm not surprised. I mean, the dude learned piano for La La Land and I love him. I love La La him. Land, so I'm, I'm on board with that. And me too. I am a big, uh, big fan of, yep. of the old Goss. Um, which is if he's playing the Wolfman that, that they said he is going to be, which I guess could have been yeah. our headline here too, that he was supposedly cast uh, to follow up the Invisible Man. Yep. I'm a hundred percent on board with that. Cause I loved Invisible Man. That's uh, one of my top five Same. movies of the year right now. Um, 
and uh but yeah i i'm gonna try to listen to these albums i don't think they'll be my cup of tea i am very especially with my current age i i am into hip-hop music extensively mainly uh hip-hop music that mm-hmm. has a message behind it uh see kendrick lamar propaganda uh, uh and Diggs. uh is, of course uh stepbrothers <laughs> um but uh which by the way remind me to send you the video if you have not seen it of um a dude realized that the lighthouse and stepbrothers were essentially the same movie and cut a like speed trailer of stepbrothers as the lighthouse send, that. <laughs> send that immediately um, after this um, but uh i and i like pop music i like i like easy to, to kind of throw on in the background and zone out and you'll memorize the words because they're basically the same thing said over and over again i tend to like that in my old age that's that's my my music right now um so experimental odd things not always going to work with even uh the v digs i just mentioned he has a, a experimental hip-hop mm-hmm. group called clipping that i like a lot but there are some songs that are too experimental for my taste like there's one where i'm pretty sure the music is just an alarm clock beeping incessantly <laughs> the entire song i made it like 30 seconds i'm like nope can't do that that's too much like i was having anxiety because yeah, i couldn't like, hit this reminds me of the morning so, get out of here right like i'm like i don't want to listen to a song with that i don't like listening to it when it happens in real life um so but yeah that was my headline uh what any any thoughts you think you're going to explore the vigo buckethead collab guarantee it once i get off the show tonight i guarantee i promise you i'm going to go and check out at least a couple of the songs even if i have to skim through them because i'm so intrigued by this now because it must because i remember i know obviously lord of the rings thing i know christopher lee was in a heavy metal band and was writing heavy metal songs in his 90s yes. which and it was all like sort of like um, spoken word like uh, black metal norwegian tongue kind of stuff it's mental norse tongue um i didn't know anything about this and i like figo mortson an awful lot like you some of his films are odd but i quite like them i like the fact that as an actor he stretches himself and he's obviously done lord of the rings and before that things like 28 days and then 28 it's 20 days here and then decided look i'm now i've now at a place now where i could do the any kind of film i want and he's got such a diverse filmography but i never ever knew he did any kind of album and then to find out that they that the fellowship came came on to do to help out that's incredible um because like i mentioned i watched that uh lord of the rings revisited on youtube that josh gad hosted and one of the greatest hours i've ever spent in my life was grinning the whole way and to know that they've been making music together absolutely even if i hate them songs i guarantee i'm going to listen to some of them at least so figo and buckethead um yeah i'm I'll give you a, I'll give you another notch on your streaming numbers. Uh, my one isn't quite as uh, exciting, but it's topical. And uh, as he's just been in the old guard, turns out it's a bit of a coincidence actually. But um, it's Shiratel Legia Four came out recently and said that franchise films are going to save the film industry after COVID nineteen. And he's basically come out and said that cinemas can't be picky if they want to come back from the pandemic, like the crap that we've been thrown, the theaters have been thrown. They can't be picky. Um, and he's basically said, it's, these big films are going to keep the theatres afloat. So they cut it. it his, his exact words were, I think that sort of rhetoric about what is considered cinema and what isn't, being too picky and so on, is just barking up the wrong tree. The industry is in deep trouble at the moment. Many jobs, theatres, venues are on the line. So let's focus on survival rather than this sort of phonetically artistic debate. This is obviously Shira Telegia for who's about to be in Doctor Strange. Again, so he's 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 got um, a hand in this, but I found this interesting. Firstly, because I looked at it and it's like, yeah, you're right. MCU, uh, James Bond coming out, and stuff like Tenet. This is what's going to drive people to go to the theaters. But then when I read the interview and he's and he was saying, you know, like rather than let's let's not argue about the arty artistic films or cinema compared to something like Doctor Strange, then the artistic debate. It, I did think to myself, well, these artistic films which um, people don't go and see, even though they probably should. They're not the ones that have been the keeping the theatres going anyway. It's always been these big blockbuster films. So when I saw it, I was like, well, Avengers Endgame probably helped the theatres out no end last year. And then the fact there was about nine other billion dollar films at least last year, all of them from Disney, brilliant, I think, apart from one or two. I just wanted to basically throw it out to you, like, what did what do you think about that? Because Shiratel for very good actors, being again in a lot of different films, big and small. But saying that in twenty twenty, franchise films are going to keep the theaters afloat. Now, 
Am I reading? Am I looking too much into this? Because he does quite clearly say after the pandemic, it isn't going to be the independent film saving cinema. Uh, I wasn't entirely sure where the argument came from because I haven't really heard anyone saying, well, yeah. you know, we, we've got to stop. We've got to drop Doctor Strange and Tenet. We need more independent films out in cinema. I haven't really been hearing that. My bigger, my bigger fear is the, uh, the implication that it's not that he's saying that that's the argument, but that he's saying studios even considering investing in art house films like that there's no point in doing these small Mm -hmm. mid middling budget films because no one's going to go see those you only need to make to save the jobs to save the theater to save the venues we need these 300 million dollar budget films which is of course is going to raise ticket prices and it and again this this these Mm -hmm. theaters might be in a slump for you know a year two years maybe before they really get back on their feet again well my fear like I was actually hoping the opposite would happen and that we would get smaller mm-hmm. budget films um, because of one, like with the COVID restrictions that Hollywood was putting out there that we, we talked about on a couple episodes ago that like they can't, you can't have so many people on the set that it was going to require, we go back to small talkies that we have people sitting in a room talking and that they're probably not even actually in the same room together because of the COVID thing that we're just doing shot reverse shot conversations again and you don't have the big budget action you can't have kissing scenes you can't have yeah, because of all the production COVID isn't stuff. necessary so for it, like eight months worth of that so it is much more organic it calls for clerks <laughs> yes. right it calls for that type of movie um it calls for reservoir dogs yeah. waitress scene you know it's those things that that the thing is what drives me nuts is people like those the problem is that one a lot of those films get mm-hmm. lost in the shuffle they don't market the movies well. They only market the big blockbusters. Um, and uh, I think traditionally, if people knew movies existed that were like that, not everyone wants a talking film, for sure. Some people don't like dialogue or conversation. Um, but I think more people do than not. And if those movies were available, they watch them. And the proof is Netflix, yeah, right? Netflix is, we haven't had big releases for the last six weeks. And we've been watching films partly because they're there but because for, for our show that but because we're film fans we want to we want to um f- uh, feed our need so we're watching things like the old guard which right. we may not have done as a main show but if it's there film fans are going to watch it but i think though to the point like we we both consider ourselves to be critics as well but we're not the we're not the snobbish critics who only like mm-hmm. the art house films. We we like blockbusters. You and yes. I both have been. Um, we're big Marvel fans. We yep. both love Star Wars. You know, uh, even though I think both of us were not huge mm. fans of Rise of Skywalker. Um, but we we like the blockbusters. So we're not we're not those film snobs who think blockbusters are inherently bad and i am one who for years shunned the fast and furious franchise have come around on i actually enjoy the stupidity of those movies i get very lost in it i cried when a certain character died in the film (laughs) i won't say who in case there's a spoiler like i i am at this point invested in that franchise so i i am able to be the big you know i push a lot of indie directors i'm a huge sean baker fan i love david lowry um, you know, uh, Jeff Nichols, Jeremy Saulnier. I am big, big fan of, of these indie guys, but I also, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Russo brothers. I loved, uh, Endgame and infinity war. I, I, I Captain America winter soldier is one of my favorite of the, the, mm-hmm. the MCU, you know, I don't necessarily think they're the best directors, but I like things to say just because people are running around in spandex or laser swords or whatever, or dress as a bat. These films generally still have a message somewhere in them. So yes, they may not be high art, if you will, but they've, but for the most part, blockbusters will have something in them. They'll have a moral code. They have a message or something which you can take from them, um, or they'll have, or they'll have social commentary or something. So even if they're not like um, walkie talkies or the the arty films like Terrence Malick uh, <laughs> drops. At least, you know, there, there is still a lot to ta- be taken just because there's a lot of explosions, but not all the time, of course. But yeah, sorry. No, uh, agreed. Um, I really think um, that all all movies should have a place. And that's my concern is I don't want the people who have the smaller stories to mm-hmm. get shunned because of money. And that has always been a problem with the studio system. And they, it's already happening. 
Um, Netflix has been that that alleviation for those middling movies that would otherwise not have a home. And um, but we're also seeing them pushing the big budget movies. We saw, you know, Scorsese has now gone to uh, Netflix because of their their willingness yeah. to pay him what he wants to make his movie. And then um, there's somebody else who's look doing at Benioff that and Wise as well. They turned well, they behind the scenes. I think they were told to get lost, but they they left Lucasfilm and the Star Wars series to go to Netflix because Netflix basically waved them and said they gave a blank check and like name your price. So they did to the tune of about about um, yeah. nine figures. Uh, so Netflix gives people an opportunity, yeah. uh, but they will chuck a lot of money at them. Right. But the downside is, I was actually wanting Netflix to do that with yeah. the smaller like filmmakers. Like, let's get Sean Baker. What do you want to make? Here's it's twenty million dollars. Go do your for movie, independent you know? cinema. And there has been some good. There's been some great smaller films on Netflix and Prime, especially um, even things like Patterson. I don't mean that's mm-hmm. just that's Amazon Prime and Amazon oh. Original. I mean that. So I love that. It's one of my favorite films of the last few years. I love it, but it's not going to make you fifty million dollars at the just because Adam Driver's in it. It's not going to make fifty, sixty million dollars at the right. cinema. But these are great outlets. And that movie won't Sorry? work for everybody, right? I, Patterson won't work for everybody because yeah. it is quiet. It's contemplative. You know, it's not going to click for every. It clicked for both of us, and I showed it to a high school class and. I'd say about half were really on board with it. And then the other half that, were That's bored. a good gauge um, though, isn't it? That is kind of a perfect barometer right. for those kind of films because it will, there will be people who don't like, just like there will be people who watch uh, Endgame and think, well, this is just messy. It's indulgent, blah, blah, blah. It's just colorful and o- over the top. But I, I do think that's what he was, he was saying, essentially when we talk like business model, he's saying that Hollywood to be successful has to make four quadrant films, meaning that, it will appeal to the largest number of people yeah. possible. Otherwise the movie industry will tank that there's no money to make. Right. There's no, there's no room for niche niche films in this, in this economy. Now you yeah, have to have, yeah. you have to have those. And I think if you look to the great depression era of cinema, you see that as well, mm-hmm. that they were, the studio system was heavily inclined with popcorn movies. That's all they wanted to do. Um, because that's, they, it was escapism the world yeah. sucks. We need a place to go to escape and cinema needs to be that. And it changed. It, it, it dives heavily into art. It goes into, you know, where we start getting the social problem films uh, come back hard and you get, you get more substance and not just the mm-hmm. popcorn film. Um, but I think that, I think he's right. And I think history shows that, that, that will be the initial push will be to get as much escapist uh, entertainment into the theaters as possible. And that's why people will go. Um, but I also hope that just like in the past, we don't lose those other stories that we don't, we don't shun voices, um, simply for the masses, you know, that we allow those independent thinkers to, to put out their content. Well, we're in a different time now in, in the sense that if we are going to flood the box office completely now, the theaters with tentpole films in an ideal world, Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, uh, all these, uh, Disney plus HBO max and whatever, would step up now and be like, right, we will invite every independent filmmaker, all of the ones you've just mentioned and more, come to us. We will get your film out on a massive platform. We will fund it and maybe actually market it. Hello, Netflix. You know, in an ideal world, Netflix, the streaming service would be an uh, would be a haven now for these filmmakers to get their film out to a huge audience, potentially more eyes than that would go to see at the theatre and leave the tentpole films for the theatres. But... Sadly, as you mentioned, I don't think that's going to happen because it ha- it, there hasn't been precedence for it. Like you said, people like Sean Baker and that haven't been given the chance to uh, flex their muscles, not with a particularly bigger budget, but on a streaming service which would appreciate their talents and their vision. In our dear world, this is the time now for the stu- for the streaming studios to stand up and say, right, we will take this. We'll be your, we'll, we'll be heaven for you guys. And, you know, all the big budget films, you can go and watch them at the cinema. We'll be your saviours. I just can't see that happening, unfortunately, as much as it pains me to say it. But in the times we're living in, it's the perfect time now for independent filmmakers to get their voices heard in a bigger, bigger um, stage. But whether or not that happens, who knows? But I think yeah, I think what, what Ezra Ford is saying in principle is correct. You know, in terms of saving the theatres and the jobs and the venues, yeah, big budget films will, will, will are the only way, but I still think that that's always only ever been the way, to be honest. So without those big budget films, we would have been in this problem years ago. We just wouldn't have had a pandemic to 
to back it up. So, um, so that's our tough headlines for the week. So what have we been consuming? What media have we been eating and been chewing on? So what have we been consuming this week? JB, since our last show, what has been, what have you been playing? What's been catching your ears? So still been playing uh, Final Fantasy VII. I am <laughs> still. I think I'm at around the last boss and I got, I, I just, he beat me twice. It's not even the last boss. I know it's not the last boss, but it's close to the last boss. And I, I have not felt compelled to go back and try again. So I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to push myself. I do have The Last of Us 2 uh, in route. It will be here tomorrow, I think. Oh, you lucky uh, man. Yeah, so I have to... Um, I, I feel like I have to beat FF7 before I start that, though. So like, I'm in this weird middle like purgatory of video game playing. Um, I uh, watched some movies. I saw The Relic. Mm. It's not The Relic. I'm sorry, just Relic, um, which I really enjoyed. Uh, Palm Springs, which is the Lonely Island movie with uh, Andy Samberg and I think it's Christina Milliat, Milliati. Nice. Um, I love that movie. It's super funny and it's it's uh, got a Groundhog Day element, um, the, the loop element, but it is a new kind of take on it and I really enjoyed that. Um, I watched You've Got Mail for the first time because uh, I am listening to the Blank Check podcast and they're doing the Nora Ephron movies, so I needed to uh, watch that one because I had not seen that before. And then um, we when we lost the Oscar pool uh, to Big Tuna, I don't remember if it was this year or last year. I think it was this year that uh, he made me watch Synonyms as the movie. Um, and I finally got to that. Uh, it's it's very different. Um, it, it had a lot to digest, but it's definitely a very well-made film and worth watching. Um. So for podcast, um, a, a friend of mine suggested that I listen to a six mini six episode mini series of a podcast called Behind the Bastards. Mm-hmm. The podcast is a ongoing podcast; it's been around for a while, but the mini series is new, and it's just six episodes, and it's Behind the Police, and it is the, the history of uh, America's policing, how the police were established, what their roots in in um, different issues are, and whatnot. And um, it's been really good. I'm four episodes in of the six episodes. And uh, the guest for all six episodes is a rapper named Propaganda, okay, um, who I would not heard of before, uh, but I, I liked him on the podcast, so I decided to listen to his music yesterday. And then I found a song. It's it's kind of he's like a, a hybrid spoken word rapper. Like some of his rap is is more traditional, like rap, and then other feels a little bit more spoken word, like he's just talking to a beat. Mm-hmm. Um, and the song that I loved is called "Board of Education," but. Okay, gotcha. It, it, is it spelled differently by any chance? It is. It is a pun. Uh, yes. B-O-R-E-D is how he spells it, but he is he's a former high school teacher, so there's a, a kinship there. Um, and I really, really con- uh, connected with a lot of what he's saying in that song. Um, and an uh, instant fan, basically. Um, but I also listened to Mike Shinoda of Linkin Park fame has yeah. a new album that dropped. I've only listened to the first three or four songs that dropped as singles first and the full album dropped yesterday. Um, I think it was yesterday. I've not listened to it yet. And then uh, Little Wayne, who I'm up and down on. Sometimes I really like some of his songs, but there's other songs that I'm not as big on. And he is a little redundant at times. But he had a song drop that I can't believe took him as long as it did to write. But it's called Wayne's World. And he samples some of the, the stuff from Wayne's World. And like a uh, part of his chorus is Party Time Excellent. And <laughs> as a big Wayne's World fan myself, I was just like, well, one, it's about time that you did this. And then two... It's excellent. I really, really enjoy the song, and it's super fun. So the, that's kind of what I've been uh, listening to and uh, watching, um, and still Gilmore Girls. I'm on season three, almost through season three of Gilmore Girls. Uh, what about you, bud? You're getting there. You're getting there through Gilmore Girls. I've been playing FIFA 20, John's favorite game, soccer. Uh, I was told a couple of weeks ago that it was £8 on the PS uh, store. I was like, £8, is a, that sounds like a bit of me. That's my kind of price to pay. Um, so I've been playing a little bit of that um, as my team, Southampton, and I'm doing quite well, actually, as if we are in real life. Um, so in terms of video games, that's what I, I am meaning to play Silent Hill. I still haven't got around to it. Silent Hill 2, I will do. Uh, in terms of music, I've been revisiting um, the latest Pearl Jam album. I know you're not the biggest fan of, uh, of the band, but uh, Gigaton came out in March, I believe, and for the first studio album, like six years or something like that, uh, so I've been listening to that again this week. I really like that. I love Pearl Jam. There's the one band who I adore that I've never gotten around to seeing. They've been to the United Kingdom many times. Every single bloody time they come here, I've had to miss the gig, either through uh, haven't been able to get time off work, um, I've been ill, 
or they, or I was away on the day that or one of the nights that they were playing. So I've, for like when was it twenty twenty? So for the last like twenty five years, I've missed every single talk gig. So I'm waiting for them to come back before Eddie Vedder dies, so I can finally watch Pearl Jam because it doesn't get Eddie Vedder than that. And uh, Weller, Paul Weller, uh, English song singer songwriter from the Jam and the Style Council, uh, like an English legend. He had a new album called On Sunset, number one album in the UK this week. Listening to that, return to form for a man who was born a stone's throw away from where I was. He's a he's a woken boy like me. So Weller, great album, enjoying that. In terms of podcasts, I've been listening to a podcast called Blockbuster. Now I listened to this last year, and basically it's a incredibly well produced. It's stunningly well produced, and it's a mini series. Uh, last season was. Um, all about George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. So it was, it was those two. It was a voice, it was a voice, a voice acted audio drama of them starting their career. So George Lucas in his THX one one three eight era up until Star Wars and how he got that made with like Brian De Palma laughing at him and Coppola and Spielberg was his buddy and Spielberg at the same time on the start of his musical journey is incredible. It's a really, 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 really good. Um, audio drums only six parts last season and this season they've just started it's a 10 part miniseries and it's all about James Cameron who obviously started as a college dropout and was driving trucks and then went on to obviously we know what James Cameron did but again it's just a 10 parts about his rise from starting in film so the pro and it's all it's 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 non-fiction it's all based on reality in fact but it's just like a biography brought to life and it is incredibly well produced and if if you haven't heard it, anybody, I highly recommend that it. it comes incredibly well um, recommended by, you know, the top outlets in the world as well. But Blockbuster podcast. Have you heard of it, man? I have not, but I'm downloading all six episodes of season one right now. And... That was easy then. Yeah, I'll get my uh, check from Blockbuster next week then. <laughs> yes. Um, which, by the way, there is a lot of podcasts with the, the word blockbuster in it. So I had to scroll down a few to find this particular one. But um... there is a few, yeah. But honestly, it's it's honestly the production is great. The stories are great. Well, so obviously, I've got to say it's non-fiction. It's what happened. But just hearing them, and it's kind of like, and there's things that you may or may not know as well. It's not just George Lucas wrote THX one one three eight. He had trouble making Star Wars. Then he then he grew a bigger beard and. And that was it. There's a lot more to it. and Spielberg as well. And the voice acting is great, and the like I say, the effects in the background and the music is spot on. It's really immersive, and um, I think you're going to like it, man. I hope so. I, I tend to. Um, I've not listened to too many like scripted type podcasts, mm-hmm. but I do like uh, the idea of it. And I am a big fan of the Secret History of Hollywood, yeah. um, which is scripted to a degree, but it's also it's i don't know it's different um but i i very much enjoy that pod and it's much more produced than a lot of the other pod a lot of the podcasts i listen to are just like this where it's just two people talking or three people talking mm-hmm. about yeah, a yeah. topic um but yeah i I'm, I'm up to give it a try so yeah i'd be interested to think if you if you hate it don't hate me don't hate the play hate the game and in terms of films uh i'd be i rewatched the last jedi for uh episode of retrospective this week um obviously much maligned last jedi but i'm going to spend an hour and a half saying how great it is in a couple of days' time, so rewatched the Last Jedi. Uh, in, when I first saw it, I was a bit, it was I was confused by it. not because it's a confusing film, but I remember coming out of the theater thinking, "Did I like that?" And it turns out I did. It's just a lot to unpack, and the more I watch it, the more I enjoy, it, including those Canto bike casino scenes. And like JB, I also watched Relic, which is an Australian film, very much in the vein of A twenty four and Hereditary kind of. And again, I won't give any spoilers away, but. I really enjoyed this film. The ending is going to properly bug some people or divide a lot of people, but I really did enjoy this film. If you don't like slow atmospheric horror films, steer clear. Or if you're open-minded and still don't like them, watch it, give it a go. It's very well acted. There's really only three people in it. Really, really good atmospheric Australian horror films. It's a psychological film. And one thing the Aussies do well is these kind of films and, I can't recommend it enough. So if you get a chance to watch it, guys, check out Relic. So that's what like I've been it. doing. But um, you said you said that you thought it was really good. Um, what what did you what I done again? We're not going to go into the ending, but how did you find it? The like the ending of that film. Um, I I found it to be uh, you know, it, it's it's more of it's a blatant allegory. Like it's not of course, trying yeah. hard to disguise. I I think it it does. 
I think it does the horror genre maybe a disservice, but I was okay with that. Um, I, I really like the allegory of the film a lot. Um, I think there's some elements in the film that are doing too much to just be a horror film. Like it's like it's here solely to make this a horror film, and I don't think mm-hmm. it does that a good. I don't think it does a good job with that. There were times where you, it did veer into the supernatural a bit too much, which isn't a bad thing. But like you say, there is there is an obvious allegory throughout the whole film, and the ending is that. But you could also look at it the other way because there are moments in the film where things happen where it's like, okay, that is outside of the realms of possibility. Therefore, right. is something actually manipulating this situation? I don't think it does a good job of dealing with those um, in any way that feels like closure. Mm-hmm. Like those things feel like um, table dressings and not actually relevant to the any of the story. They're just there to make it a horror movie. And yeah. Um, so I, I, again, not, not a real complaint. I enjoyed, I was very hooked into the film. I thought the performances were great. I, I watched it Sunday morning. Um, Sunday morning uh, film. Yeah. Yeah. It was, but it, it fit cause it's very dark and atmospheric. I was, you know, everyone else was sleeping in the house. Uh, I was chilling with a cup of coffee and I was just like watching it on my computer even. And it was, um, with headphones on. Uh, so I, I was really like in the movie and I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, no. Robin Nevin, who plays the elderly lady, is bloody terrifying. So the way she's made up in this film, she really has a presence about her. So, um, so that was what we've been consuming this weekend. As we always end off, you guys know we're bloody awesome. You know, JB, me, we like to think so. Anyone, anyway. it is tough keeping this uh, these temples of bloody awesomeness going, but we'll find a way to do it. So, JB, this week, how have you? This past week, how have you been staying bloody awesome? Well, um, I like to think that I like align myself, not because of politics, but my politics align with my moral code mm-hmm. and what I uh, hold up most. And one thing that I value more than anything is just the idea that people should be treated like people, yeah. um, regardless of, of skin color, of uh, location, of, you know, whatever, that people should all be treated humanely, um, which is weird because so many people think, you know, we got to treat our animals humanely. It's like, let's start treating people humanely. Yeah. yeah. and then we can start looking at how we treat animals i think priority number one is that people are being treated like people right um and so while i inherently feel that way um being able to intelligently argue points against people who don't feel that way has become a priority in today's world right like i I can't just use logic i need facts i have to have data to back things up um and so uh studying on things like that and that comes back to that podcast behind the police that i've been listening to um because while I do not think all cops are bad, um, I do think that the system here in America is busted. And I think this podcast provides a lot of evidence to prove that the system is inherently been flawed. And that doesn't mean it has to change 100%. I think um, I think one of the things they say on the podcast that I truly agree with is like, there are detectives whose jobs are solving murders. And I think even if we re- if we redo the police force, we still need detectives who will solve murders because those are things that need to be done. Mm-hmm. Like murders are going to still happen and people need to solve them. But it's the institution in which those people are employed and how they're employed that we need to reevaluate. And so they, I, th- I thought that articulation was really strong of the idea that like uh, redoing the police force does not inherently mean getting rid of police it means changing the structure and what what people are used for for different situations um and uh listening to the podcast and also doing additional reading and and this one of the things i like listening to people who are experts in an area is they will provide resources that you can also explore more in depth if you would like to right Mm -hmm. so um that's been kind of my focus for this week is uh finding things that i want to be able to defend in a more uh like data driven way yeah. than just my opinions even though i feel like my point of view is right without the data i want to be able to like back up my my feelings with data so yeah. the, the podcast has been kind of my way of staying bloody awesome it's it's an emotive subject and i can't get my head around people with again without without turning it too political people who say well you can't defund the police because what happens if if somebody breaks into your house i like, will but I'm not sure people are calling for the police to be like, abolished because crime needs to be governed still. <laughs> it's it's not. I think I, I'm sure there are some people out there who would like to see the back of the police. But you know, they're, uh, everything going on in the world in a minute, and unfortunately, especially in the United States, does show that the the system is broken from from what from what I see. But that is only what I'm seeing on social media, 
and the news obviously they they present a completely different story but to be able to put your argument across or your point of view or your opinion with data or data as the americans would call it fact and your kind of gut passion as well it's there i get there'll always be people who argue against it but more for them but it, i think it's it, it, to educate yourself on things like this is it's it's a good way it's a good way to stay bloody awesome it's a good way just to keep on top of life because people can get so stressed out trying to argue a point but if you're clued up on the point by people who know what they're on about you're you're you're, you're already there and it saves a lot of stress in the long run or, or you can look at arguments people are making to think you know what i'm not going to get involved because i know I know what's really going on. I have a better understanding. So no, I think it's a good way of doing it, man. And it's something which I need to do so as well. I'm not an expert on anything like that. And I would like to educate myself more on a lot of things that have been going down in the world in recent months. So I'm going to devote some time to that. In the meantime, in terms of how I'm staying bloody awesome, mm-hmm. other than drinking a double shot espresso at 11 o'clock in the evening, is, oh, um, but I'm immune to caffeine now, is I'll be, I'm writing a story, man. And I actually am. I've been... If for this, I remember when I was at work like three years ago, I came up with an idea for a story and I started, I spent about a whole shift. Um, I don't work there anymore, so I don't care. I spent a whole shift just working on it, like coming up with characters, coming up with backstory, coming up with the town, the city they live in and all these things that could play out when I came up with like a rough story. And it's been on the back burner. I finally like wrote the first two pages of it in the last week. It's not something that's ever going to be finished probably or certainly not in the next six months to a year, because I've read enough, but I'm not a writer, as in like a novelist. So I've read enough people say, right, you do, when you write your one book, you have to go back through it and read it and realise that most of it's absolutely rubbish and redo really it. So, um, But I'm an awfully creative person in the fact that I got to do, I have to be doing something. I can't just sit here twiddling my thumbs. I get extremely bored very quickly. So thank God for JB and the BAMP as well every week. And, it was like the other day with lockdown. I think I'm sitting here, not doing an awful lot at the minute, and I'm thinking, you know what? I might go back and just start typing and start writing and see what comes out of the old noggin. And um, yeah, I've started doing that. So expect me to say in a week or two's time that is is completely gone. But I intend to keep going because uh, it's going to keep my brain focused on something. And as a, in, as a as a writer of which we are, even if it's in a different medium, it's always good to practice your craft and. Even if it only stays on my hard drive for the rest of my life, it's something which I'll hopefully look back on and think, you know what, that was bloody awesome. So, yeah, I'm writing a story. And you're doing that as a book, not a screenplay? No, as a book. Of course, one day it will be picked up by the big studios as a screenplay. And I'll be be a producer and, you know, I'll be on set too. Like J.K. Rowan, I'll be on set and the, what's the name, from Fifty Shades to completely overhaul everything. Uh, yeah, man. So as a like a like a you know a couple hundred page book, and I'm hopefully it will be half decent. But once it's done, once the first draft is done, I'll send it to John to tear apart. But uh, the reason I'm not saying what it's about, not because it's controversial, it's fairly standard. But it's not about Star Wars. But in case I never finish it, so then nobody can say, "We well, you know that book you mentioned about that." What you know? What, what where is it? So, um, but no, it's I, I look hopefully one day look forward to sharing that I've written a chapter. But um, yeah, I thought um, that was a bloody awesome thing to do, and it's been keeping me busy. So. Long may it continue. For sure. And unfortunately, what isn't going to continue is this week's episode. So the BAMP will remain forever, but uh, we are done now for this week's episode. And on next week's episode, we're stepping outside of our zone slightly. We're not talking about film. We're talking about a documentary, mainly because there are no films coming out this week. But we're talking about one that came out um, within the last few months. And it's called Mucho Mucho Amor. Uh, John, you're looking forward to that one. I am. Um, Big Tuna recommends. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I don't. We don't always see eye to eye on films, but every once in a while, uh, one will click. Um, so I, I'm intrigued, and I it's it's good to catch a documentary from time to time, especially about a figure I know very little about. Yep. Yeah. So uh, we'll save that one for next week, and anything Big Tuna recommends, I'm generally on board with. We've had two Oscar sweepstakes, a fantasies, and I've drawn one with him. And again, yes, this year he won by about five or ten points, I think. Or so um, I'm closing in on him. But yeah, Big Tuna, thank you for that friend of the show. Um, so like I said, that's next week's show. But in the meantime, if you like what you've just heard and you want to find out more from us, you can do. You can go to Twitter and find us at BAMP underscore podcast. B-A-M-P underscore podcast on Twitter. And on Instagram, John, where are we? We are bloody awesome movie pod. 
Simple. Bloody Awesome Movie Pod. Facebook, just look for Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. Uh, and if you want to find me online, you can. It's whatiwatchtonight.co.uk. Uh, Letterbox, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Just search What I Watch Tonight. And you'll see my face and click that follow button for some brilliant reviews and great banter. Uh, how about yourself, John? And I am at Burke Reviews on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, Letterbox.com, as Matt mentioned. Plus, BurkeReviews.com for all my reviews. Follow John for some brilliant reviews and great banter as well. Um, and if you, again, if you like what you've just heard with the bloody awesome movie podcast, we certainly hope you do. And you have a spare 30 seconds, please do consider giving us a good five-star rating uh, and a review, if you can, on your podcast provider of choice, because it helps us get out there to more and more people. Plus, we just dig hearing from listeners of the show, uh, more people we can talk about film with. So with that, I'm going to tell you to stay safe still and stay bloody awesome. And keep watching movies. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Blood, 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 blood,